Scotty, 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 guess what, guess what, guess what? John, I can never guess what. <laughs> <laughs> I have something to talk about for once. <laughs> oh, no, don't tell me. Is it something you can actually talk about or you're going to talk about something you can't talk about? Yeah, well, no, it, not only can I talk about it, but it's, it's not related to my work at Netflix. In fact, it's explicitly separate from it. Uh, he said to make it clear to anybody who might be listening. Um, you know that I was asking you a little bit about uh, Back for App last episode and, and, and using Parse and whatnot. And, uh, and so my son participated in a hack day project at, at his college. Um, and he was on a team with a couple other people with 21 teams. And he there was no prize. There was no thing. It was like an exercise thing as part of class. They do it all the time. But he, he told me that uh, he tied for first place with, with, with one other team. So he did well. And, and uh, that's what I wanted to talk about it because it was interesting for me to be able to oh, go back to my, you know, whatever pre-Netflix days and remember what it's like to try and build an app very, very quickly using as much, you know, infrastructure that's out there. And I realized that all these years at Netflix has made me grow soft because there's so much infrastructure that, you know, I can get started working on a canvas in the app. And there's there's tons and tons of back end infrastructure that I'd never have to worry about and so on and so forth. Like um, this has been been kind of fun. So I almost even feel like I have to thank you. First of all, for telling me about Back for App because I had not known about it before you told me. Well, this is what we can go back to. I had told you several times, but obviously you don't listen. But now, now, <laughs> well, no, Scotty, that's true. There, 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 there is a point in time. I, I hear what you're saying, <laughs> but there is a point in time before the first of the four times you told me about it that I had not heard about. It. But this time you had. Yes. Well, I look exactly. Uh, I look forward to having this conversation again sometime in the future. Scotty, that's terrible. That's so mean. <laughs> anyway, that that's that's fantastic that your son uh, is carrying on the fox tradition of uh, uh, winning hack days. I'm sure he's made you very proud. Oh, I I, to- I was told him. I was basically I said the apple does not fall far from the tree, and and next time you come home, I'll allow you to sleep inside again. So th- does this mean the mantle has now been passed on, and your hack day winning times are over? Uh, well, I mean, we haven't had a hack day at work for a while, and a lot of people have been asking about it, and it's probably not going to happen for another couple of months at least. And who knows, maybe, you know, I'd volunteer to to to, to help organize it because uh, the people who, who are do, doing it for years, one of them is no longer at the company. So people are saying, oh, but but that's, you know, it's almost that the person is inseparable from, from hack day. But, um, yeah, so it's, would you like to hear about it a little bit? Because it... Yeah, yeah, because it was interesting. I, I find it interesting from the point of view that, uh, you know, Although the vast majority of what went on at Hack Day was probably um, thrown in the bin, was a learning exercise and fun, that there are features that are now in some form in the Netflix, you know, ecosphere because somebody in a Hack Day did something. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's true, but I, I wanted to. I mean, it, 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 there there's kind of a couple of purposes for it. It's like one is that this was an opportunity for me to to work on an app that is pure Swift UI. Latest, you know, APIs, just literally, as you like to say, file new project and see how far you can go if you don't have to have any baggage. And, of course, you can go a lot farther, a lot faster in many ways. Um, but, you know, for me, it's a big learning opportunity because I've been doing Swift UI for a while, as, 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 as we've talked about. But it's one thing to kind of do it as a, a screen in an existing app, especially if it's kind of hosted in what is fundamentally a UI kit app and to build something that is 
from its very beginning a, a Swift UI app. So, you know, well, some time ago, I think we talked about uh, the, 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 you know, Swift UI tutorial, which is well written. And this land, app called Landmarks kind of shows you top to bottom how to build an app, how to have a shared environment, shared data sources, and, and kind of think about building apps in a Swift UI way. And so, you know, it, it, in a way, it's continuing the process of like forget everything you ever knew about building apps if you've been doing a UI kit. So in a way, I feel kind of you know like I'm I'm learning. I'm no better off than than these college kids that have you know in both cases. You know, my son and 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 the guy on his team was also working on the code. You know, they they <laughs> I want to say I have to admit that they probably know as much Swift UI as I do. It's not entirely true, but for them, they're they're brand new, and for me, there are plenty of things like this is the very first time I'm doing it and thinking about it in a way. So that that's that's interesting. But the other thing too is that you know you can't build a mobile app without having some back end, and that's the thing that that I figured like oh yeah I remember Parse uh, you know but when I was last using it it was an Objective C API. And 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 mostly what I remember about it is that it's you know you can build a build up a data model you know using a web app and you can start entering data which is very good you can even start creating users so that that more than anything is what I found helpful for bootstrapping things because you know it's very easy to 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 pull out a text editor and build a JSON data source like they do in the in the tutorials that Apple gives you, but that's not really realistic. In order to build an app, you need to have a user, however you create it, whether, you know, you use Apple sign-in or so on and so forth. And similarly, if you're building some type of, of, of app, you have, you have to kind of figure out a data model, and oftentimes that data model has relationships, and those relationships are kind of fixed bit of data. So in, in this particular case... Uh, you know, location objects representing places where people could could go pick up things and deliver them. The, the the app is called Duck Dash, and you know I'll talk about that later. But mostly, it's like you're starting from scratch, and and how long does it take to get something up and running, and how easy is it or not? Um, and th that was really kind of quite surprising. And I know that you, you know you've been using it for a while, but <clears throat> there are so many little aspects of it that I find kind of interesting. One of which is like. You go to this app, this website, and and the experience of setting up a user account and getting started was, was all really nice. And it's a reminder of like, wow, you know, a modern web app is is fun to work with. Um, and then you get far, and then all of a sudden you kind of you you start hitting uh, roadblocks. And in this particular case, it was like one of the key features of 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 Parse in, in its newer in, incarnation is this ability to to have live updates of objects using WebSockets underneath. So that's kind of interesting if you're building a real-time app, and this this one is. In order to actually test it, though, you kind of once you've created your 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 user account and it's all free, you know, with 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 some limits, but the limits are pretty generous, really, when you think about it. Um, but in order to set up this live updating thing or even to, to set up, you know, to support push notifications in your app, you have to validate the user account. Now, I had made the mistake of uh, creating my user account by logging in using uh, my GitHub account, which was great. But I think something about doing that made it that I forewent setting up, uh, you know, the normal form where you do things like enter in a phone number. And they require you to validate with a text message and a credit card. Um, otherwise, you can't kind of use that part of the feature. So all this is kind of, you know, stupid stuff. But the fundamental issue is like this. At first, I was getting frustrated because I couldn't reach a human being. They have everything automated to a T, you know. So you ask to do something. It's like, 
you know, join our chat, you know, send us chat message, but there's no human being asking for it. Meanwhile, you're getting all these human sounding emails from people from, you know, the, the co-founder and CMO say, let me know how it's going. And if you have any questions, just email me and, and, and let me know what, to, or, you know, if you want to do it by phone, I'm, I'm thinking, great. So I start firing off this email saying, hey, I'm so happy to, to hear from a human, blah, 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 blah. And of course, I never hear back from it because it's all completely automated. So it took some time to be able to set that up. So it, it, the reason why I go off into that level of detail is so that you get started on something and you think, oh my God, this is great. It's free. I can get started. I can see a path for doing it. And, and when we go to deploy, it's a reasonable cost. But you, you know, it's never about, it's never solely about the code. It's always some other thing. So I'm curious about this. Like you've been a paying customer of Back for App and they're very reasonable, their price. Did you ever run into any problems with it? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I think support from any company is always um, interesting. I found uh, Backfrap support very good. Um, as in, if you email them at the support or if you put a message onto their Slack group, um, you know, I've had a what has usually been a reasonably comprehensive response with links to documentation within 24 hours. Now, yeah, that doesn't help you when you're trying to get something set up right this second. Right. But right. actually, as you know, somebody who offers software support, I think that's a reasonable turnaround and, and, and works well. And the people who answer tend to be knowledgeable. They tend to be engineers as opposed to just, I mean, they may just be support people for all I know, but the point is they understand the product. Uh, on one or two occasions, maybe the answer has not been, you know, necessarily what the answer I wanted. Um, and whether that's good or bad is, I guess, down to maybe my expectations are wrong. But yeah, I think um, I think the, the the support is good, and I find particularly the Slack channel gets good good. Now, for me, I believe you know a lot of the um, a lot of the people are US based, so sometimes you know. You don't expect people to be awake 24 hours a day because I don't think Backfrap are that big a company. Um, and again, being a small software vendor, we understand that you don't get 24-hour coverage of, of things for immediate responses. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah I, to say I have no complaints will be not fair because it's software I always have complaints, but I think basically... And you're pretty... For the, yeah, for the money they charge and, and, and what you get, it's uh, it's a pretty good pretty good setup and um i i would recommend recommend them but support is you know support is always difficult isn't it it's it's uh you know when people most need support they need it quickly and even good support departments that answer within four or five hours that's that still wouldn't have solved your problem necessarily because you want to speak to somebody now um and and i'm not sure how you ever solve that problem unless you have you're big enough to have you know, permanent 24 hours a day, seven days a week around the world, telephone support people. But then again, you can get that from some software vendors. It costs you a shitload of money. Yeah. Um, um, so there there are two more things I want to talk about, and then I'll, stop, I'll shut up about it at least for a little while. Um, so one was, you know, using ChatGPT to, 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 to get answers to questions and you know, this was the other thing too. It's like, okay, in this time, since this is brand new for me, you know, some of the aspects of the, of the Swift UI stuff, like, you know, when you, when you create the new app template, you know, there's no app delegate. And that, that happens in a lot of places where, you know, when your app starts up, you know, hook in and application did finish launching. So you can initialize this, that, and the other thing that's not in there. Um, 
And so I'm like, okay, well, how do I do this? Because for things like, you know, doing supporting push notifications, you know, so that's, it's kind of interesting to see how Apple is, is trying to make things as pure swift as possible. And they're obviously not completely there that, and I I don't know how long it will take before there's no dependency on existing UI kit, you know, framework. Um, uh, so that that basically uh, the answer to a lot of questions like how do I do this in Swift UI is like well you don't because it's not covered so you have to know how to to bring in the old UI kit code to to make that happen um, so that 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 was interesting to me but the, but you know a lot of times I was saying okay well you know the typical way you ask for 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 solving problems is you try and formulate this the best query you can and use Doctor Google and more often than not if it's Swift UI things you're very lucky you'll probably find snippets. From from Paul Hudson, you know, hacking with Swift or somebody's Medium post or, God forbid, you know, some Slack over Stack Overflow, um, and and that's all good. And you kind of while you're doing this have to be able to figure out well this answer was was good from two years ago, but the APIs have changed. Maybe this will help. This will get you started. So surely ChatGPT should be better. And again, kind of like it will it will take you very far very quickly. Oftentimes, but then the devil will be in the details because remember I had said that I was doing this all with brand new API, and of course Apple's APIs change quite a bit, and so sometimes examples simply won't work. And I, at, for a while, it's like, why the hell doesn't it work? Just should work. This should work. Just should work. Then you realize, like, oh no, that that something has been deprecated or it's just slightly different. It's not there. But the other thing too is is you know a lot of the the you know the original uh, parse APIs. There's the there's the original Objective C stuff that was you know years and years ago, and then it was wrapped you know, with with Swift, and then there's a brand new parse Swift SDK or brand newish, and that's all based on using Combine, which is kind of interesting because you know from my understanding, Combine is is somewhat being deprecated in in favor of everything you know being async await. So it's like one of those things where there that you find yourself that there are multiple ways of doing the same thing. And you kind of want to adapt a way of doing it and, and stay consistent with it. And that can sometimes be hard to do. And sometimes you kind of have to switch back and forth. So the, the code you produce in a weekend is like, ah, yeah, that has to be redone, but, you know, got far along enough. Um, so that was kind of interesting. There's one more thing that I want to talk about. I'm going to take a pause to see if you are still interested. Yeah, there, uh, there's an interesting thing on the I'm trying to remember if this is correct. I believe there are actually two Mm. PARS, PARS, Swift client frameworks. And one is based on Combine and the other is based on async await. Um, Because I know that we in ours definitely use async await for all our PARS calls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is is that you have to, you really have to know where to find authoritative documentation. And sometimes it's not easy. And even just to find code samples and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, on the one hand, you look at how, you know, either observing yourself or observing others, trying to find answers to these questions. And again, these are, these are kids and it's reminding me of what it was like, you know, low those many years ago and before, before there was Google and bef- let alone, you know, GPT type type of, of systems. Um, so that, that's been cool. But the, the other thing that I want to talk about is AWS. So, you know, Amazon Web Services, in particular S3, because, you know, I've had an Amazon account and been using S3, well, I used it, you know, a million years ago in memory miner days because it was the cheapest way of being able to, to distribute things. Um, and it still is. 
And my God, you know, the AWS comprises 12, no, no, no fewer than 12 billion different discrete services and trying to, to get an answer to what, to my mind, should be a really simple question. How do I set up an S3 bucket <laughs> for, for, for a pretty common use case of, you know, uh, allowing your app to authenticate with it without having to embed your root level <laughs> login and password on Amazon in your app? And how do you set up the bucket with the right rules so that, you know, a client app can get things up there? Once you have that figured out, then which of the 12 million different ways of uh, pushing a, a file up there with S3 do you use? Because, again, kind of there's there's so many different uh, bits of client code and, and examples out there. And that I found unbelievably frustrating. And the presenting problem for a while while doing it is like, you know, it's you can understand how a service, you know, that's backed by a database, creating a bunch of entities, reading and writing them in, in, in some format is, is there. Uh, but when it comes time to, to pushing files up and down, that's where things get expensive because typically a backend is going to be paying for not just the storage, but the, the data that's going in and out. So it's not surprising to me that, that Parse's, you know, free plan or even their paying plan, it's not entirely generous in terms of, of, of storing files. So if you need to store files, my feeling was it would be much cheaper to be able to go directly into an S3 bucket, you know, get the, get the, the, the name of the object, the file name in there, and just construct a URL accordingly. And th that indeed was the case. But to get that part of it working, that took, you know, it took several hours across a day and a half to be able to, to kind of get that working. And I found that incredibly frustrating. You, how are y'all doing things with with files that you have to store? Uh, we currently, well, we we've been looking at part of this. We currently don't um, store files, although we have investigated solutions to this in the past. I mean, one of our one of our um, things with with MoneyWell is we we try not to get our hands on any user's data mm -hmm. in any form at all. And having it in S3 is our hands on it, basically. So at this stage, right. no. however, um, we have looked into this. We have done several experiments with it. Um, we ended up using Wasabi as opposed to Amazon S3. Uh, now, Wasabi is one of these S3 clones. It basically, you still use the S3 SDK and right, so you just change mm. the endpoint. Um, partly because it was cheaper than S3. Um, but uh, secondly, because I find the Amazon documentation incomprehensible and virtually impossible <laughs> to follow, whereas yeah. because Wasabi is just literally about file storage, it's not all of the Route 53s or the whatever else that crosses over on Amazon, it, it, I just find it easier to set up and, and, and find things on there. Um, so, yeah, so and actually I think we, we stayed... We all of our most of our backup stuff goes through Wasabi at the moment as well, so uh, uh, we keep all our machine backups on Wasabi. Um, but yeah, no, the whole I think oh, this is the thing, isn't it? Amazon have an amazing set of tools. If you think you know, you know what what Amazon offers, and they probably run at least fifty percent of the internet by now, um, you know. But oh, just following what you need to do to get things set up is just particularly for a small developer who's trying to find one thing and you're not like a corporate IT department trying to set stuff yeah, up. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I just read the documentation and I'm, I, I, I feel by the end of it, I know less than I did when I started. <laughs> <laughs> They've sucked the last yeah. bit of, of happiness yeah. out of you. I'm glad it's not only me. I'm so happy to no, hear that. It's, it's and I've never heard of Wasabi. So 
put that in the show notes, son. That would be helpful for others. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, there are there are quite a few of them. So basically, it's an S3 clone. So if you're going to access Wasabi, you still you still download the S3 SD, you know, Swift SDK, mm. whatever you're using. You just change the endpoint, and and other than that, it's it's just totally S3 compatible and does exactly the same thing. Um, the S3. One of the nice things is is because S3 is so prevalent. Um, around the internet that no matter how much they might want to, I don't think Amazon can ever deprecate a call to S3. They might add new ones that are better or more efficient, but you can pretty much guarantee the old ones will keep working because, you know, deprecating something that uses S3 must be getting close to impossible by now, I'd have thought. Yeah, well, that's good to know. It's like the, the, the thing that, you know, again, kind of for, for people who are looking at this, Oftentimes, when you when you look at samples about how to bootstrap something and say, okay, well, if you're going to use this framework now, here's if you wanted to do Carthage, here's how you do Pod, and here's a, you know how to do it with Swift Package Manager, and that's that's my preferred way for sure. And um, but with the Amazon SDK, that, that was the other weird thing is like a lot of the examples are saying, okay, enter in this Git URL, you know, uh, so you can get access to the package, and then you can before you in bring in the entire package, you can select you know which parts of the package you want so if you don't need you know support for alexa <laughs> or other things and don't want to have that 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 binary linked into your app you can do it but i don't know whether this is an xcode 15 thing but basically by default it selects everything and i found it really annoying I, maybe it's just me but i don't think so it's like everything is selected and you have to for a thing like amazon's sdk where where there are just a dozen different kind of, you know, sub packages or whatever. And I try to basically go back and, and not include them, you know, include them in the project and then select the only ones you want. And, and the helpful documentation said that there's AWS core, which is the, the really the only dependency for, for all these other packages. And then you can kind of remove them. And I thought I'd had, but I didn't. And I, I again, didn't want to deal with it, but I noticed while running my app is that, they say, well, you've linked to multiple frameworks. Which one gets used is, is you know, indeterminate because there's something else about there's some kind of namespace or some type of collision where they had to name some of the frameworks, adding in some, some appendix to it um, to get around some issue with Apple, whatever. So that's like one of those things you know it's in there because, you know, you build a, a brand new project and you think, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm not going to have supporting, you know, I'm not going to have any, any warnings, um, especially if you're trying to show it to kids and, and kind of like, here are the good practices to use, you know, make sure you do as I do. And then of course, after a while, it's like, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do, because I'm, I had to accept some things. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a weird thing. So, and, and try as I might, you know, I, I probably read probably almost a dozen different blog posts on the, on the subject of how do you support S3, and some of them are just so old that you just kind of have to to dis, you know dismiss them out of hand. But even the ones that seemed very modern, the one that that finally helped me, still kind of said once you have your I forgot what it's called, but basically this this type of of, of uh, identifier you know uh, I'm spacing on the name, but basically an a, a essentially it becomes down a, a little string that you embed, which is not your login or name and password, but it's basically an identifier that allows your app to act uh, by making connections to, to, to S3. Um, it, it was helpful, but left a bunch of other things, but at least is the, 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 the most modern way I could find for doing it. Um, 
And it, after the, after having the experience of failing for so long to get this thing running, I was like, am I just that stupid? So I'd be curious since, you know, you, you've been batting a thousand on this stuff. Do you, you know, you said you've been using Wasabi and, and this S3, you know, whatever this Amazon SDK. Um, I seem to remember that. Um... <laughs> How did you do it? Because it seems like it was like incredibly painful. For I could be wrong here, but because because S3 is so prevalent and S3 is so stable and is an incredibly slow-moving SDK, there are quite a few third-party SDK, client SDKs available for it, you know, just on open-source ones that purely just do S3. They're not the whole Amazon, because the whole, you know, Amazon thing, um, uh, and they seem to. It depends. Um, you know, I, our use of S three was pretty simple. Upload a file, maybe later download it again. I mean, there was no. You know, if, if you had access to the account to upload it, you had access to get it down. There was. We weren't massively using over complications, overly complicated things, um, with it. So it. Um, uh, yeah, it all tended to work pretty easily, and I can't remember which one. I mean, I'll see if I can find out where it was because it's been a little while ago. But yeah, I think we settled on a, a third-party open-source SDK that just did S3 and just did basic S3 because that worked for us, um, and we didn't have any of that that crap around. Which, mm-hmm. um, and this is the trouble, as you know, with a lot of these things. You know, it, it was Google were the same with was it when everything became Firebase, and you could, you know, you had to have if you wanted to get Google Analytics, you had to have firebase this and firebase that and whatever else and it's just like oh, i just don't want all this shit in my code base <laughs> um right yeah. yeah so it was um yeah it is a problem it is a problem right well anyway i've i've talked your ears off and now the interesting thing is like now that we're you know people don't know this but this time instead of doing facetime audio we're doing video i can see just how bored and uninterested you are when i go yammering on the illusion has just been shattered so now i i, I should return the favor and, and ask you to tell me about your day honey and i can can like sit there and, and like going <laughs> It's like that scene out of Amazon, uh, out of uh, airplane, (laughs) where you're about to hang yourself. So it's given away now that my my forehead is on my desk, and I'm just like, (laughs) gently, gently wobbling, yes. Yes. Um, Okay, what am I doing? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to stick on the Swift UI subject for a moment, because... uh, firstly, as, as, as I'll, I'll repeat as I do every time, you know, we're using SwiftUI on the Mac, um, which is probably a little behind iOS. And equally, unlike iOS, um, your the ability to push people to upgrade the OS um, is is maybe not as easy as it is on a, on the iPhone with iOS. Um, and, and so we we currently try. We have a policy that we will try our best to support a certain version. But the moment we think we're totally detrimenting the product by doing so, we'll we'll push up one. Um, 
So we're trying to support Mac OS 12 at the moment, which uh, yeah means there's a you know there's a lot of the stuff that came in last year with SwiftUI that makes things a bit easier. Um, we can't use and all the new stuff like observable instead of observable objects and all the rest of it we can't use. But this last couple of weeks for myself and a bit longer for for Matt on the team, we've been trying to do more complex stuff in SwiftUI. You know, going beyond the setting screen or the user login screen or something to where we're actually trying to develop some pretty complex full full windows of things um, with lots and lots of moving parts. And I have to say, it gets, for me, it gets a little confusing sometimes about what the best way to handle your view models stroke data models is. Um, an example, I, I mean, remember. I'm producing, you know, we still call them wizards from the old days. I don't know what, I don't think they've ever had an official name on, Microsoft used to call them wizards back in the window days. Did, did Mac OS ever have an official name for them? Everyone just called them wizards, did they? Yeah, so basically, you know, a progressive, do this, press next, do this, press next, do this, press next, go back, and it maintains your state. And it takes you through a complicated process of setting something up as a series of simple steps. Uh, which might involve a lot of data uh, that's around there. But, you know, just knowing, you know, so obviously the easy thing to do is just have this great big humongous view model object that you just pass to every single view and it just accesses the bit it wants to do with it. But that's not particularly very efficient in one of And I have to say, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on what the best practices are for handling data in, in, in Swift UI and, you know, what to put when in how the best way to observe it is. I am becoming more and more convinced that the more views, the more you break down your views, the better. Um, having done some analytics on it and seeing how it reproduces views very, very efficiently. But then again, do you mean, and I know they're reference objects if you use observable objects, so it's not really passing stuff through. But yeah, I have no answer to this other than to say that um, I think, whereas when it comes to you know, Mac OS application architecture or ios architecture you know over the last 10 years there's been lots of different views on it and but the point is people have got all the architectures you follow have very firm opinions that follow take the same core groups i i've not really seen yet many examples of very complex swift ui stuff and ways to structure it and ways to break it down and ways to pass stuff around because I get the sense that swift ui is still being used mainly in simpler stuff by most people uh, and I don't know if that's fair. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we're out, you know, on one of these screens, we're like two, three months into working with it, and we're still not 100% convinced we're going to get it finished in Swift UI and not have to drop back at some point to, to UI kit. Um, yeah, so it's, it's going to be interesting. So I just say that as a, if anyone out there has links to some good stuff on how to best structure. Your data you pass around amongst a whole series of very complex views, then I'd be interested to see it. And the answer might be just, yeah, just have a big, big view model and just pass it around because who gives a shit? <laughs> That's probably where we'll end up. It's funny. I, I have to remember I fi- to, to, to find this for the show notes because there was an interesting post about some company, and I can't remember the name of it, but essentially they, they, they do one of these kind of, you know, AI on top of, AI photo library on top of Apple Photos. Um, similar to what I talked about some weeks ago. Um, uh, and they basically said, you know, we ended up switching back to UI kit because we, we too often 
you know, things would, would that are supposed to be guaranteed in order with async await simply weren't, and that would cause crashing problems when you were trying to access a photo library where you have to ask permission for it before you can do anything. I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but it was, it was to me, it was kind of eye-opening, and it kind of tracks with what I've heard, because I keep asking, it's like, what is the most complicated Swift, pure Swift UI app out there? And, and really, I, you know, I want to be clear about the, the definition of, of pure, where I think, like, you know, the whole app set up from from the windowing system and everything uh, is is done that way. I'll also try to remember something else in the show notes because there was a, you know, there there's some courseware that I've seen, you know, that's explicitly for how to build a Swift UI app the right way. Um, yeah, and and maybe there is no, you know, they're still inventing the right way. I guess is what the answer is. Yeah, yeah, it's well, we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, it's. I guess at the end of the day, if it works, there is no right way, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, exactly. The right way is the one that lets you ship it so that you can live another day to then rewrite it in the right way. And as, as we've said a lot, I mean, yeah, we're just, it's interesting. We repeat conversations quite a lot because like, you know, other than some of the words we're using that, you know, name certain technologies, a lot of the conversations we're having with Swift UI over UIKit are exactly the same as what we had when we moved to Swift from Objective C, you know, a lot of a lot of the issues we have with with Swift UI has got nothing to do with Swift UI. It's got to do with our unfamiliarity with Swift UI, um, as opposed to the, the product itself. And and you're never quite sure if this doesn't work because you don't know what you're doing, or because it just doesn't work because both I'm new to it and Swift UI is still reasonably new in the context of some of yep. the things it does. Interesting. Well, Scotty, you know. We've been blathering on. Maybe we should uh, give our, our, our unfortunate listener a slight break. Um, no? We could play this elevator music, you mean? <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> or we could just bugger off altogether. We could, uh, let's take a quick audience survey. Oh, um, my phone is lighting up. <laughs> bugger off, bugger <laughs> off, bugger <laughs> off. Even my mom, even you too, mom. Oh my god! All right, yeah. So, John, if uh, if the other audience members want to tell you how to bugger off, where should they do that? Uh, well, the probably the best way to do it is to find me on Threads, where I'm John Fox, or you can find me on Mastodon, where I'm Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. Jembe at mastodon.social. And Scotty, if people want to tell you that you know Swift UI on the Mac is the way in the light, but you don't want to use a massive view model. Um, where might they do that? Well, they could do that again on Mastodon as well, where I believe I am MacDev, MacDev, MacDev. The Mac is dead. No, I am MacDevNet uh, at Mastodon.social. Interesting, you put threads before Mastodon these days. Um, that's true. I find that I, I'm enjoying threads more and more. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just, Yeah. <laughs> I I I I basically I and I feel bad about it because I want Mastodon to to succeed, but I think mostly what it comes down to is is you know if the entire universe of of your interest is within a particular Mastodon int, you know service you know server whatever endpoint then then you're great. If you have to go across it, that's where it seems to still uh, not be there yet. Yeah, and I have to say I I'm basically don't. I monitor Mastodon to see if anyone's saying anything to us, but I don't, I, I very rarely post myself. It's just. And you have to ask yourself, is it just you that nobody wants to say anything to you? 
Or just nobody saying anything to anybody. I think it's probably just me. I know my place in the world, John. I know my place in the world. Just remember, you're you're the you're the the chief Fifi least And there is a reference that nobody will understand, which is why our podcast does so well out there in the wider world. But there we are. So, but with that bombshell, as they would say. We are going to leave you, listener. <laughs> Understanding what the fuck did John just talk about is the uh, it's the thing now. So, thanks for listening to that bollocks, and until next time, you take care.